Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune via Zoom. Hi, guys. Andrew, how you doing? Doing well, Mike. How are you recovering from that late? I know this isn't our wild podcast, but how are you recovering? Um, it's it's it actually has been a lot. <laughs> it was a late night because I stayed up to watch it because I feel like I'm I'm not obligated, but you you know when you do a daily podcast of all the sports, you kind of want to know what you're going to talk about the next morning. So I was up late and then up early, so it's uh, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I've got three kids. I'm used to not having any sleep. It's, it's okay. <laughs> so I'm yeah, sure. So it's fun to that all on that one too. And uh, <laughs> it was. It was fun for a while. I mean, they were dominating, and they got the lead, and then basically gave the lead up 30 seconds later, and the Golden Knights kind of tilted the ice from there, and that was it. And then they finally decided to call a penalty after swallowing their whistles most of the game. They finally just got to call a tripping penalty on Kirill in the last uh, couple yeah. of that was an obvious trip that they kind of had to. It was, that. it was, but it was a little bit in the. It was a. It reminded me. I said this to the friends I was watching with. It was a little bit like the. Tyler Johnson, Kevin King, Jersey grabbing the NFC title game. Like, yes, obvious call, but you haven't been calling this the same way the entire game. So um, if people wanted to get frustrated with that one on the wild side of things, that would be the line of thinking there of why they would get frustrated. Minnesota fans never get frustrated with officiating, though. Certainly not Vikings fans. No, <laughs> no <not>. never. <laughs> I'm just saying if, if somebody wanted to give it a try, that'd be the way I'd go about it. No, no, and the Vikings aren't playing playoff games. Certainly, they're not even playing real games for quite some time, but they are back on the field. Veterans reported or could start reporting for voluntary workouts starting Monday of this week. The OTAs do not start until next week on Tuesday, the 25th. Um, That is when you can start doing more football-like activities. That's the uh, NFL jargon for we can finally do 11-on-11. Still no pads, still no tackling, still not really resembling real football, but you start learning some things about the team. Coaches start getting players on the field. We will have to see how many Vikings and who shows up to these amid the NFLPA and the NFL's fight over offseason workout rules. But Ben, it seems like that the union is losing quite a bit of steam on this whole fight because the Vikings were among 20-some teams that came out and said many of us aren't going to show up, but yet attendance around the league has been pretty good. Um, what, what do you know about kind of where the Vikings are at with that as they reported this week? And just, yeah, in general, it seems like the union doesn't have a whole lot to stand for anymore because guys are reporting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this phase of things, I suppose, is like semi-organized team activities. So we could call them sodas, maybe sodas. I like it. Yeah. 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 And they're in soda as Kevin Garnett would say going to the hall of fame. So it all ties together. Um, Yeah. It sounded like a lot of guys were going to show up. And for a lot of the reasons that we would expect, there are veterans that have off season workout bonuses tied to it. Uh, The Vikings don't go as far with that, I guess, as some teams do Uh, the the Packers among the teams that have seven figure workout bonuses tied into players contracts. The biggest one the Vikings had this year is a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know that I've ever seen one for them that's bigger than 250000 or There was maybe a 500000 Cousins might have had a 500000 in his previous deal. I can't remember exactly. But they're, they're typically not such massive amounts of money that if you wanted to stay on a principle, it would, it would kill you. But, it, you know, it's still $100,000. I mean, that's a lot of money, I think, to anybody, even if you're used to making millions in a year. And we should remember that this time of year, players don't get paid. So if you can get that money in your pocket at this time of year, it, it probably is nice to have it. So you have veterans that are reporting and you have then younger players that are saying, if the veterans are going to be here, I need to be here because that sets the tone for what people expect. And if I'm trying to win a roster spot, it's, you know, th- I think this is the way it always goes. And even in the union negotiations, it's a lot of this where it's, it's this talk about, we got to hold firm and we got to, argue for our best possible position. And in the end, you have a union that's made up primarily of guys making $400,000, $500,000 a year that are not making what Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen make that need the paycheck, they need the job, they need the longevity. So their ability to hold together and kind of keep a strong bargaining position, like D. Smith has talked about them wanting to do, 
is subject to everybody's individual calculations of, yeah, I get the principle of why we should hold out for this, but I need to make a team. I need to keep my own situation in good standing here. So I think a lot of why the union always seems to end up not getting everything it wants in collective bargaining probably applies here as well in the sense that it's just, it's hard to keep everybody together when people are thinking about their own situation. Yeah. And you got guys like Justin Jefferson who came out and said, I'm going to show up. He's going to show up, said he's going to report on Monday. Now he's not what you would consider totally a veteran coming off his rookie year, but he's one of those guys where he proved enough. He might be able to sit out and be like, yeah, my starting job is going to be secured. But he said he talked to some of the guys in the locker room and said they decided it was going to be important to get this jump on preparing and getting ready for the season. And especially the year the Vikings just came off of, it doesn't seem like too much of a shock that Mike Zimmer, the coaching staff, the veterans in that locker room might be saying, let's not waste a whole lot of time here because we do need to get better off of that seven and nine season. Well, and to Ben's point, I had uh, I had Blake Barrett's the agent on a on daily delivery a couple of weeks ago. And he said, that's kind of how he's at, how he's advising his clients, basically like you got to do what's best for you. You can't worry necessarily about 2000 other guys. Like they might be in different situations entirely. And it's admirable if you want to take this stand, but that doesn't always work out in the moment of the practical, like, like Ben said, I need a job. I, I want I don't want to jeopardize my roster spot uh, by, by making some kind of grand, you know, statement at this point, I'm going to show up because that's, what's best for me. Yeah, and we're seeing, too, around the league, just strong attendance. I mean, you're seeing reports of 80-plus guys showing up in places like San Francisco, Miami. Um, you're also seeing head coaches negotiate with the veterans in their locker rooms by themselves. They're not going through the union. There are reports, I think, out of places like Philadelphia where they've negotiated to get rid of minicamp. They're saying, look, we're just going to do seven-on-seven. Seven. I think in Miami, they actually negotiated mandatory flip-flops for walkthrough to make sure coaches are not going to ramp up the speed Mandatory flip-flops. Mandatory flip-flops, yep. That's something that I need negotiated in my contract at the Star Tribune. <laughs> you flip, you flip-flop enough, Andy. This, we demand mandatory <laughs> flip-flops or we walk out on the next podcast. <laughs> but that's one way that makes sure you're not going to be running. Coaches are not going to make their 300-pound athletes run in flip-flops. You're right. That's true. So and players know that, and that's what they're negotiating now. We haven't heard such negotiations out of the Vikings. They still have Ooh, their mandatory – they still have their mandatory mini camp schedule. They still have all of their OTA schedule. They still, by all measures that we know, are going to maximize their practice time that they have because I don't think Mike Zimmer will have it any other way. Um, ben, do you, would you think Mike Zimmer would bend at all to some of these demands from other players on other teams? I, I mean, there was, I think, the one year where they canceled their last workout and it was like a year that the Packers were going bowling or playing paintball or something like that. And Zimmer's like, yeah, it's not really how we're going to do it. We're, you know, it's great. Good for them, but we are going to bond by working. I mean, that that's kind of his thought process is we're going to get out here and grind together and we are going to get better as a team. And um, that's, I, it's not a process given to, uh, you know, if I, if, if they're, he's not, Put it this way, Zim and Rocco Baldelli are not looking at their respective situations and saying the same things about what it will take to fix them. Where is Zim's uh, compound? Where is it? Is it Kentucky? Where is he going the offseason? Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati. So uh, what would just crack me up is if he like he if he told the players, OK, instead of kind of the usual thing, we're going to go and we're going to go to go to my compound. But when range. they got out there, he just put them through like a series of brutal blistering practices just like just totally conned them into coming out there and then then just work them to the bone out there you're gonna you're gonna work the you're gonna work the land work the land uh, work the land till my till this crop yeah my the what is he always worried about is it like muskrats or something that are getting into his his crops and he's got to go try to shoot all those and yeah he'd probably have them like rolling hay and and uh, carrying it up a hill and I mean, just go total old school boot camp. I could, I could see it. It'd be a construction project. Yeah. It'd be like, we're yeah. building a second house on the land and I need you guys to come out here and do it. <laughs> a barn raising. It's a barn raising. <laughs> OTAs are too hard. How about carrying a two by eight instead? Uh, so there's no indication the Vikings in their young team are going to let up. And I think the, the age of this roster and how young it is, um, kind of lends itself to that, right? This isn't a yeah. roster full of veterans. This isn't the 2017 Vikings. 
Um, this isn't a group that has a lot of guys at the tail end of their career who are saying, why am I going to show up for these workouts when I know I'm going to be a role player? I know you need me for X, Y, or Z. Um, it's a very young roster. And, and so I think that's going to lend itself to a lot of guys showing up. And um, the Vikings saying, we're not going to give an inch on some of this workout stuff. Now, maybe they'll adjust well, some things, but I don't think they're going to be changing and getting rid of certain periods. And think about the, the older guys on the roster, too, the guys that could say that. I, how many of them are in a position that they would say, my future is secure beyond this year? I mean, you have Kirk Cousins, who I don't, doesn't have a workout bonus, actually, in his deal, but he now has competition does he want Kellen Mond taking all those first team reps? Uh, Adam Thielen will be 31 next month. Um, Anthony Barr is heading into the last year of his deal. Potentially Harrison Smith is in the last year of his deal. Patrick Peterson's on a one-year deal. Uh, Eric Kendrick's probably fairly secure. Dalvin cook is probably fairly secure to the extent that a running back is, but man, there aren't a lot of the veterans that you would say, they don't need to show up. It, they're, they have everything figured out and everything is lined up for them to take a strong stance. Do you have a lot of the veterans even that are in years that they need to produce to secure their futures? So I think that plays into the calculations a little bit as well. Yeah, and this roster is interesting too because uh, as we've talked about at length, they wanted to get bigger on the offensive lines. I think you saw they want to get bigger on the defensive line too by bringing in a second nose tackle to start opposite their other nose tackle. Um, and so I think when you look at this roster, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for guys to compete for jobs. Um, but overall too, there's a clear direction they're trying to head of, we're not necessarily trying to get smaller and faster anymore. We're trying to get bigger and push some people around. Um, there was an interesting dent piece. People. Oh, go ahead. Dent people. <laughs> dent people. Is... Tony Sperano. That's right. That's right. Um, there was a good piece by football outsiders that was published today that Kind of, uh, it's, I'm not going to get too wonky, but it basically says the Vikings last year were the skinniest team in the NFL. Um, they went ahead and looked at all the players who actually played snaps for every single team. They found the BMI for every, just average BMI for every team based on position group. They really dove into it. I still um, look at distance runners. I wonder what, what that would look like. It would probably be really skinny. It, it would probably, probably look, it might look like the Vikings last year. <laughs> I think it'd be a little skin in that, but that'd yeah, be interesting. I'll have to file that one away. Anyway. But, but according to Football Outsiders, the Vikings last year were the skinniest team in the NFL just based on who was on the field. This doesn't take into account backups who never played. This is actually based on snaps and what they were able to put out there. Um, and so I found it interesting that they were dead last in terms of BMI and defense, meaning they were the skinniest, 29th on offense. 24th on special teams. And that's, that's going to change. And that's a big part of that is your nose tackle ops out. You don't have one basically the entire year. Now you got two of them. You go ahead and you draft two of the biggest offensive linemen in the draft. who are already two of the bigger O linemen on your team for this year in Wyatt Davis and Christian Derisaw. So I imagine these things are going to change quite a bit this year going into it. So when you look at the Vikings roster, as it stands right now, Ben, we thought last year was quite the transition year. It seems like this year is another transition year in terms of bringing in some of these veterans now and molding it together with that young group. Yeah, it almost feels a little bit like like in a construction project where you'd be putting something together and, oh, we went a little bit too far this way, so now we have to adjust it back. In some ways, that, that feels like a little bit like what they're doing on both lines of scrimmage, where we wanted to be, get all these nimble guys in here that can get to the second level, you know, converted tight end types like Brian O'Neill that can run and, and move well, that doesn't work against certain pass rush fronts that we see. And some of these nose tackles push Garrett Bradbury around. Some of the three techniques are tough for our guards to handle or Garrett Bradbury to handle, depending on the alignment. Uh, we don't have a left tackle that can deal all the time with the, the, the edge rushers that we're going to see. So it feels a little bit like that where well, now we got to move it back just a little bit. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I looked it up for a piece I did a couple of weeks ago. Christian Derisaw, I believe is the heaviest lineman on the roster already. And I think Wyatt Davis is like third. So, or maybe even the heaviest. Yeah. I think it's the heaviest lineman. Uh, I think Ole Udo is the only other guy that's really in that conversation. And of course the two biggest defensive linemen you probably have are well michael pierce will be number one and i think dalvin Tomlinson will be number two so uh they they added some beef 
this offseason. And I think some of that was, I mean, certainly it was on purpose. And and that that football outsiders thing is is pretty interesting because it shows you exactly why. And we saw it in how they were struggling in pass protection, I think a lot of times. And we just saw them get beat up in the run game. We heard a lot about Shamar Stefan and how good of a job he does with what he's able to do. But, you know, the, the eye test doesn't lie. He's not big enough to suck up two blockers all the time and, and hold the point of attack. And there's a reason he's not here anymore. Well, that's interesting too. I mean, it, it goes to, I got two points. Both of them are kind of tangents, but what's new? Uh, you're putting together a, a lineup in ice hockey, original Nintendo ice hockey. You don't pick four skinny guys. You're right. <laughs> you want, you want a mix. You probably want two littles, two bigs. Maybe you want a little two bigs and a, and a middle guy, something like that. You want a mix of speed and beef you don't want if you're the if you're the lightest team in the nfl that's probably that probably doesn't bode well for how your fortunes are going to go so definitely a, a kind of a, a counter uh, you know a countermeasure a counterweight towards that if you will second thing i this this whole discussion reminds me of i was go for football back in the mid 90s when i was at the daily minnesota daily and they, i remember i still remember this press release like this is during the jim wacker era i think they, was, they put in those press release the game notes said they're bragging, bragging in the preseason about how the Gophers had a slim and trim offensive yeah. line. They'd gone down to like 240 pounds on the offensive line, something you know, which seems just absurd these days. And all of us in the office were looking at it like, mm, I don't know, but I don't think you really want to be slim and trim on the offensive line. So a lot of exciting 56 to 51 losses on Thursday nights in the Metrodome back then. Yeah, those was, those were the days. But you know. <clears throat> Good for them for for realizing that they probably went too far in one direction, and we'll see how that uh, how that plays out for them this year. And I didn't think it was much of a coincidence either when you look at this football outsiders piece and you look at how the Vikings stacked up to the rest of the league. Um, and who was number one? Out of curiosity, in this, in terms of the heaviest, yeah, it was the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, yeah. Oh, excuse me, on, on offense, on offense, I, I actually pulled up the offense one. The heaviest team overall was the Seattle Seahawks. Second was the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and so typically it's going to be these teams that are more power run oriented, want to beef up and just move people around the lightest teams or the skinniest teams were teams like the Niners who run a very similar system as the Vikings who want to have athletic light offensive linemen, all that kind of stuff makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, the Kansas city chiefs were, were one of the lightest teams as well. Um, these are teams that just like to spread out and run around a little bit more. And so you are seeing a little bit of a correction Um, for the Vikings toward the middle of, all right, well, we do need some size. And the defense thing is the one that stood out to me because the Vikings have never been known, in in my opinion, as, well, we want to draft a bunch of skinny guys on defense and put them out there. They do want to run. They do want to cover sideline to sideline. But they've always wanted to control the middle of the field with the Linval Josephs. And they wanted to do that last year with Michael Pierce. And that obviously not having him obviously changes your metrics quite a bit on something like this. Um, but seeing the Niners, for instance, right next to them as one of the skinniest teams, it fits the style of offense they want to run. It does. But yes, the I think the bigger place that this plays out is what you just mentioned, the nose tackle. You look at it three times now in Mike Zimmer's, we're heading into year eight, I believe. Uh, their first priority in free agency has been, let's get a big dude for the middle of our defensive line. It was Linval Joseph on day one in 2014. It was Michael Pierce on day one last year and it was Delvin Tomlinson on day one this year. So yes, that part of things, not having that, I think was a pretty big issue for them. The interesting thing there is going to be Tomlinson and how that plays in the past game, because we've had this sort of back and forth about, well, I think Andre Patterson did an interview a couple of weeks ago, about everybody saying that we need a penetrating nose or penetrating three technique tackle. That's not how we play. It's like, yeah, I get his point. And they, and they talked about how we play blocks on the way to the quarterback. We don't just try to shoot into the backfield. But they also talk with their three techniques. And Mike Zimmer said it last week with Geno Atkins about we want guys that penetrate. And we want guys that can can make plays up the field. So you know, maybe that was a uh, – he misconstrued something in the, in the meeting there. or I, I'm not quite sure. But they the way they have gone about it – I mean, guys like Sheldon Richardson um, – guys like Geno Atkins, who Mike Zimmer talks about a lot, and I think who they would have very much liked to get here had he been available, they have tried to find those guys. Tom Johnson is another example of this. Not a big guy that they want to have 
as an interior pass rusher. So maybe some of it's on a rotational basis too, but they have looked for some of those guys that could provide interior pass rush and they've moved defensive ends in to do that a number of times as well. So yeah, it's, I suppose it's a kind of trying to find different tools for different jobs, but they've also not looked for 290, 300 pound defensive ends. It's a lot of the 260 pound guys that are built like basketball players as they often talk about. So yeah, it's an interesting trend to keep an eye on for sure. And I think too, when you look at that, it, it Sheldon Richardson was the name that kind of popped up to me yeah. where, I mean, it's a little bit revisionist history to sit there and say, well, you know, yeah, we, we don't really want that. And, well, no, you may not want it because you didn't get it. And this is how you're going to have to move forward without it. And you're right. They scheme up interior pressure, the a gap stuff. They do that as well as anybody. And, and obviously with Mike Zimmer at the helm, into the, into the tackle spot in a playoff game. Yeah. When they move uh, Hunter and Everson Griffin in there and, and just really wreak havoc on the new Orleans saints. Um, those are the kind of things that work out really well for them, but, and you know what, we need to manufacture our pass rush again on the interior. We've done it before and they'll do it again. Is kind of maybe what they're thinking along those lines. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how they do that. And Ben, you wrote about the pass rush recently of where's that going to come from? And it's not just interior. Yeah. yeah they, they got to find the other defensive end too. They do. I mean, and we've got a lot of questions about Daniel Hunter, so we'll save that for Twitter question time. But even if they have Daniel Hunter, they have a big question on the other side because this has not been a team that has just had one guy on that defensive line spot since when? I mean, since Jared Allen and pre-Jared Allen? I mean, because that was that was the thing at the time is they need pass rushing and you put him in and you pair him first with Ray Edwards and, and B-Rob and, and you kind of go down the line from there. But they have had, and certainly that's been a priority with Mike Zimmer, that we're not going to blitz you 40% of the time. We are going to bank on the fact that we can get pressure with four and we can cover with seven more often than not. When we blitz, we'll do it in ways that you don't necessarily see coming and we do it effectively, but we're not going to go out and be a team that blitzes, you know, north of 40% of the time an awful lot. So then that means that pressure has to come from those defensive linemen. And I, I wrote about this in this piece that they very much, had they not gone with a tackle in the first round, they were very interested in Jalen Phillips from Miami and very interested in Quiddy Pay. And when they made that trade back, both of those guys went off the board in those nine picks. And I think it, from what I've heard, it got a little tense in that draft room. Just And we've seen it with that clip the Vikings released about when they, they were talking about trading back with Gladney it's that tension of, well, okay, let's get what we can in terms of getting more picks. But the coaching staff is sitting there saying, we just, just get our guys. We don't need this to be this game of you trying to maximize the draft board, just get guys in here that we want and we want to work with. And I think that played out with those guys because they, they like very much both of those pass rushers. I think they liked what they could do with both of those guys in their group. And I don't know if they would have taken them over Derisaw. I think that would have been an Avenue they would have explored, but that group needed help. And we saw it later on with Patrick Jones and um, with uh, Jalen Twyman and then uh, the, the kid from, from Florida yeah. state. So yeah, Jim, just, Robinson. So yeah, it's, it's a group that got a lot of attention and, and probably will need those guys to, to hit. Is, is Hunter, it kind of leads me to a question, maybe who, Outside of Cousins, and you could even argue that it's not Cousins, but quarterback generally is your most indispensable position on the field, especially when you have an established starter like him and your backup's a third-round rookie. Who, who's the player they can least afford to lose uh, off of this team this year? I'm trying to just – imagining not even just their best overall player, but like where the depth maybe isn't as great. Is it Hunter? Like when you look at how bad their pass rush last year, like are they banking – a lot and maybe an unrealistic amount on him being not only back, but, you know, back at a hundred percent. Boy, I would say, I would say Dalvin cook popped to my mind just, just because, and I'm not saying their, their backfield's not deep that they don't have other options. It's just the replacement level. As you talk about in other sports, like it, it drops off because the guy's that good. Um, yeah. And, and Daniel Hunter, certainly, I mean, I don't know what you think, Ben, but I would, uh, Cook came to mind and certainly on defense, I think it, it, it's either Harrison Smith because of how thin that secondary is um, or Daniel Hunter uh, right there up front. I think you can make a strong case that it's Hunter simply because we saw that last year too. And we've seen it with Dalvin Cook when he's been hurt and how much it drops off, but we've seen it with Hunter in terms of how little pass rush they're able to get 
from anybody else. And, and that's Hunter and Everson Griffin being gone last year. That's all of the established pass rush sources, not being on the field for them at all. So that's part of what happened there. But yeah, I, I think given the positional value, given how good he's been, if you wanted to put Hunter in that spot of most indispensable, I, I wouldn't argue with it a whole lot. I, I think cook is, is certainly a name that's worth throwing in there as well. I, Harrison Smith, I, I think is, is valid, a valid pick as well, but I, I wouldn't quibble a whole lot with somebody that said Daniel Hunter is the most indispensable player they have. And the news that we should get to um, that happened since we last recorded a podcast was Mike Hughes, 2018 first round corner getting traded to the Kansas city chiefs effectively for a bag of peanuts uh, that gave him for, it was a late round pick swap where the Vikings get to move up from the seventh to the sixth round by sending Mike Hughes to the chiefs. Um, ben, you've talked about at length this off season about how it seemed like Hughes was obviously out of their plans long-term, yes. but it seems also that they would rather now just have the million dollars in cap space than have him on the roster. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he certainly was not in their plans going forward. I, the question was going to be, would he get a chance to try to put it back together this year? But it sounded like they had kind of communicated to him, you're probably not going to make it out of camp. So it would have either been a cut or let's get what we can for him. And they didn't get a lot, but, um, you know, it, it was it was something as opposed to the, you know, the cut that would come at the end of training camp. And you get the cap space now, which – you know, how many millions does one team need? I guess the answer is just one more, uh, <laughs> 1.314 more. Uh, if you're kind of, if you want to be exact about it, but yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think the, the reasons for that are fairly obvious. He, he's, his injuries had made it difficult to get a read on him, but more than that, the neck injury is one of those things that in addition to the health, it I think was factoring into the way he played. He, he had a bit of a, he played with an edge when he was good and that went away when he got hurt. And that's human nature. I think anybody that has a neck injury, if you're playing that sport and that's in the back of your mind, it's, it's going to be an issue, but it's uh, I, I, I know that factored into their thinking about his future in terms of, can he go out there and kind of play on that precipice of where I need to be to, to play with an edge, play fast, all that kind of stuff. I, that was in their thinking in terms of how much can we count on this going forward? And I think it's probably in the back of his mind too. So it was one of those things that as they made the picks they made last year, you thought, yeah, they're, they're not looking at Mike Hughes as being the answer probably at this point. And then they get Patrick Peterson, they get Mackenzie Alexander. It's you can tell they're not thrilled with what they had in front of them. And uh, when all of those come through, especially with the cap situation being what it is, it didn't look great for him being a part of the plan going forward. Yeah. And Mike, this leaves them now without a first round pick on the roster from from what stretch? I think you'd written about that. Yeah, 2015 to 2018. Uh, by the way, too, I, I didn't get a chance to make my cheap shot. Um, I know compensatory picks would kind of mess this up, but a sixth-round pick from the Vikings and a seventh-round pick from the Chiefs might only be a few picks apart. <laughs> well. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> anyway, um, 2015 to 2018, yeah. I mean, and again, that's going back a lot of drafts. So, you know, it's it's – I don't know how many teams exactly still have their 2015 first round pick, but you know, just, just an, even in a cursory glance, the Packers still have a couple of their first round picks from that span. At least like you'd like to think that you'd hit on a couple of those and they'd be some building block players, but 2015, the Vikings take Trey Waynes. He's not here anymore. And they, if he was truly a, a, a cornerstone player, they probably would have made a, a harder push to keep him in free agency in 2020, in 2016, Laquan Treadwell is your first round pick. That didn't go well at all. He's gone. 2017, they didn't have a first-round pick, but that was the Sam Bradford trade. He's not here anymore, so you got nothing to show for that draft pick. And then 2018 was Hughes. Um, and I can, you can even go another year. 2019's Garrett Bradbury, and I'm not entirely sure, you know, what what that's gonna what that's gonna be a year from now and where it will flex what, on 2020 though. What? Yeah, 2020 is gonna be all right. 2020 is gonna be all right. I think uh, Justin Jefferson, and we'll see about Gladney. Um, but yeah, you know, just the not having any of those picks and they did, they did great in the second round those years. So, you know, it, it mitigates some of the damage you get Dalvin cook, you get, I think Brian O'Neill is one of those. 
um, in, in those years. Um, what's that? Eric Kendricks. Eric Kendricks. I think McKenzie Alexander maybe in, in 2016. Yep. So you, you, you've got a lot of players you liked in those second rounds, but to not have any of the first round picks, like those are some pretty big misses, especially, you know, like Trey Wayne's 11th overall, you know, Hughes was kind of low in the first round, but to not have any of those guys anymore, that probably shows in some of the, the holes they have on their roster and some of the depth they're lacking right now. Yeah. And two of the guys you mentioned in Wayne's and, and Bradbury, if we extend that out to 2019, because the jury's still very much out on him. Um, those are the two highest draft picks ever at those two positions for the franchise. And, and in terms of spending an 11th overall in a corner, yeah. and was it 18th overall on Bradbury? Uh, 19, I think. Right. Or 19th overall, something like that. It was, no, it was 18th in 2019. That's why I always mix that up. Um, yeah. And so and I guess, Ben, where does this lead your confidence level in their cornerback group? Not to say that you were expecting or anybody was expecting Mike Hughes to do a whole lot this year, but it takes away from the depth a little bit in a group that you already had a lot of questions about. Yeah, it does. I mean, you are banking on for that group to be better, you're banking on the following things happening. You're banking on Cameron Dantzler taking a step forward and being healthier than he was last year. You're taking, you're banking on Jeff Gladden. You're probably taking a couple of steps forward being on the field and not being in legal trouble after that, that charge on domestic assault allegations in Texas. You're banking on Patrick Peterson after a couple of subpar years in Arizona getting back to where he's been as a great cover corner or at least a better cover corner than he was in 2019 2020 in Arizona and then you're banking on probably at this point Mackenzie Alexander playing a fairly significant role I would think I mean that those are your top four corners right now and they can talk about Chris Boyd still being part of the mix and you guys you have guys like Harrison Hand that could continue to develop but I, I think you probably go into the year thinking it's Peterson, Alexander, Gladney, and Dantzler in some combination. And there's not – you don't sit there and look at any of that and say, okay, uh, it's roads closed on one side, it's Wayne's getting better on the other side, and you got the safeties behind it. It's none of that. I mean, those guys could develop, but you have a long way to go to get from where you are now to saying this is a really good secondary again. Well, and Gladney's the big one because we just don't know how that's going to play out. Mike Zimmer speaking yeah. last Saturday during rookie minicamp was very coy about it, said he can't say what he knows, but they're going to let it play out. Basically the team's statement on this entire issue. Um, we've seen it before where the NFL puts these guys on a commissioner exempt list until yeah. that stuff plays itself out. So I wouldn't necessarily expect a suspension to already come down because those things don't happen until after the legal process has played itself out in some capacity. But that doesn't mean he's going to be on the field for them. That means that he could be on some kind of exempt list until that happens. Um, I don't know how they bank on him at all. And, and keep in mind, too, they made these roster moves with Mackenzie Alexander, Patrick Peterson, before Jeff Gladney allegedly assaulted a woman. Yeah. And so this wasn't a reaction to, oh, we need to then fill this, this hole. They were already trying to add more bodies before Jeff Gladney's future became a question mark. That's one of the big ones. So when you say Jeff, they're hoping Jeff Gladney develops in, into a better player. Um, yeah, we, we have no idea if he's even going to be on the field at this point, because as far as we know, the charges have still not been filed over a month after this incident allegedly happened. Yeah, that's what and, we've seen from looking at the court files. Yeah. And, and so it's just a bond hearing. That's all that we've seen. And so with that, his future is just a big question mark. And so if, if, if you're not counting him in the picture, it's Mackenzie Alexander, Cameron Dantzler, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Hand, Chris Boyd, those five? Yeah, yeah. And so the confidence level for that has got to be, at this point, a little low, considering that we were also asking just minutes ago, where's the pass rush? Where's the coverage going to be, too? So this might have to be one of Mike Zimmer's best coaching jobs in terms of just if he's going to get much out of this combination of pass rush and pass coverage. It'll be interesting. Can I reimagine my 10 and seven, 11 and six? Uh, just kidding. No, it's, it'll all come together. It's odd. year magic. What one final thought on, on Bradbury two for 2019, no <laughs> other 14 games, no other center was taken until the 44th overall pick that year. And that was two years after the Vikings took the second center off the board, Pat Alfline. So they've, they've definitely, uh, Invested some draft capital at that position. And in between there, they took Mike Hughes when everyone wanted them to take an offensive lineman. They did. So. It wasn't um, wasn't that those things are fixed yet. Wasn't that second center too a pretty good one to the, the Saints? Was it Eric McCoy? I can't remember yeah. who it was. Yeah, but I think so. 
either way, either Elton way. Jenkins went to the Packers in that draft too. I That's believe. right. That's right. So, all right, well, let's get to some Twitter questions here and we will get out of here. Um, I'll start off with one. I got DM'd to me. This is in relation to the Mike Hughes question a little bit. Um, Charles wants to know, since it takes three years to judge a draft class, how was the Vikings class of 2018 panned out? And so if we're kind of going beyond Hughes and you're looking at the Vikings draft class from 2018, I'll go down the list for you guys. It was Mike Hughes, first round, Brian O'Neill, second round, Jalen Holmes, fourth round. In the fifth round, they took Tyler Conklin and Daniel Carlson. Sixth round, they took Colby Gossett and Ade Aruna. And then the seventh round, they took Devontae Downs, who's actually found some playing time with the Giants, uh, but not for the Vikings. Um, so how would you guys say that panned out? Because to me, it looks like they found just two contributors out of that one, two, three, four, out of that eight-man class in Brian O'Neill and Tyler Conklin, which are two good finds. I found a solid NFL kicker. They had a really good kicker. Yeah, they just didn't keep him. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I should, I should give Daniel Carlson some credit. It wasn't necessarily his fault. I mean, for one game it was. Um, but beyond that, that he didn't work out here because yeah, he's gone to the Raiders and been very serviceable. Um, I don't know. It's a 25% hit rate. That's generally not considered bad for NFL draft classes, but, but, um, how would you guys say that panned out overall? Ben, what do you think? Well, I mean, Brian O'Neill is the hit Tyler Conklin, I think is a potential to be They're They're excited about what he seems to be turning into. So you could call that, I, I think you'd call that one and a half probably at this point, but you know, Jalen Holmes is a guy, they've had a number of those guys in recent years, whether it's him, Jaleel Johnson, and Stephen Weatherly has been a contributor, but they haven't hit on a pass rusher in on the order of Daniil Hunter, not that you always do, but they've taken a number of swings at it and there's been undrafted free agents in there as well. Afadio Denebo had a moment there, I suppose, but that ability to replenish that group in the draft hasn't really worked out. I mean, guys like Armand Watts are still in the mix and, and maybe pan out James Lynch, but uh, that group hasn't gotten it done. And Jalen Holmes kind of heading into a make or break year here with the Vikings. And if you go back a year or two, and, and you know, it's been four years since the 2017 draft class, that one looks even worse. And, and it, they have one of those guys in that group in Jaleel Johnson. Yep. Who got a lot of playing time last year was had the chance to prove that he could be that guy and ends up signing a cheap deal to go to the Texans. Cause the Vikings didn't want him. Um, yeah. That class was Dalvin cook, Pat Elfline, Jaleel Johnson, Ben Gedeon, Rodney Adams, Danny Isadora, Bucky, <laughs> Bucky Hodges, Stacy Coley, Afadio Denebo, Elijah Lee, and Jack Tocho. Yeah. That's a, uh... Oh man, that a little rough. 2016 was no picnic either. So you're no, to, it was not. 2016 was kind of a nightmare draft, right? I mean, I know they got Alexander in the second round, but they whiffed on Treadwell, and I don't think they got a whole lot else later, did they? Weatherly, and maybe David Morgan. I think. Yeah. Probably. So contributors, yeah. but yeah, they, I remember that first year. It they got fewer snaps from their top two picks, I believe, than any team in the NFL. In, in terms of Treadwell and Alexander and Alexander was probably a little bit of a red shirt, but Alexander also had some, uh, some tense discussions with Mike Zimmer that year. So um, yeah, they didn't get, I mean, really that 15 draft is that, that was a home run unqualified. That was a phenomenal draft, but the ones since then haven't yielded anything close to those types of results. Yeah, and we'll have to wait a few years before we totally look at 2019, 2020. But yeah, Garrett Bradbury's the big one out of that class. And Irv Smith is going to have a chance to do quite a bit this year. And we'll see how that pans out for the 2019 uh, second round pick. Jefferson yeah, um, will we'll, uh, probably deliver tonight, continue to deliver pretty nice returns. All right, Mike, you got a question for us? Yeah, how about, uh, let's see. I like this one about... Um, <clears throat> Joel wants to know what are the skill plus scheme fits that the Vikings like about Kellen Mond? I wouldn't know if there's a whole lot of scheme fits they're looking at necessarily with him, right? Because the offense is built around Cousins, not him. But maybe you guys are in a better position. Like what? I guess what is it that they like about Kellen Mond in particular? Yeah, Ben. Um, I guess I would defer to you, but the athleticism. I that's not what you really call a scheme fit necessarily for what the Vikings like to run, but. 
if your guy can get out on the bootleg and then actually make something from by himself, make something out of it. I think that's an additional plus that they just don't have with Kirk Cousins. Well, and I think the the piece in terms of in the short term, what he brings is partially that. And I, some of the thinking in that pick I, from people I've talked to was that if you have to have your backup come in, you want him, you, you want him to be able to run the offense. Yes. But you also probably need him to be able to create a little bit on his own, given the fact that, if he comes in the middle of a game, he's coming in at the end of a week where he hasn't had a ton of reps in practice, hasn't had a ton of time with the number ones and may need to be able to go off schedule, make some plays with his feet, be able to extend plays a little bit and and play kind of that Case Keenum backyard football kind of stuff. You don't want to live on that, but if you have to have him come in and win a game or keep you afloat for a couple of weeks, that can I think help your group overall. I, I think they are excited about what he can develop into. And I think, yes, the, the changes in the Texan, Texas A&M offense last year were part of what drew them to him, as was the fact that he started as many games as he did in college. And I think they just like his makeup. That's from what I've heard is that they're impressed with just kind of who he is potentially as a leader and as a quarterback. But in the short term, I, I do think that, skill set he has be able to make plays with his feet of course from being a track guy um is probably what you look at as as a benefit at the moment yeah and from what i'd heard too there were i mean they liked him a lot and ben you've talked to people who for the vikings sing his praises um i i've heard from their scouting department that there were people voices in that room that liked him over justin fields yeah and this was before the draft this wasn't yeah. like after the draft oh we liked him better this was before the draft there was debate over whether or not uh, Justin Fields was actually better than Kellen Mond, which from the outside perspective seems absurd because of Justin Fields is just that five-star athlete and has that athleticism, has the pedigree, but they like Kellen Mond a whole lot. And so I don't think it was too much of a surprise to see them spend that 66th overall pick and their second pick in the draft on that quarterback. And it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, th- I got this question from Joe that kind of goes with the quarterback stuff. Um, He says, it feels like this is a big year for Kirk, even though he has two years left on his contract. If he has another up and down year and Mond looks serviceable, what are the chances they can move Kirk in 2022 before 2022? I I would piggyback on that. This is a a related question. Nicholas kind of all asked along the same lines. Uh, he says, from my understanding, his, his cap dollars from tw- for 21 and 22 have been or will, he, will become fully guaranteed. That is true. Uh, he isn't going to play on his cap number next year, but the only way out of that is to extend him. So what's the deal? So this whole idea of what happens to Cousins is going to be a big question. It It is the only way out of the box. The extension is the only way out of the box if you keep him. But if you found a way to trade him after this year, that would be the other way out of it because you take a $10 million hit from the last piece of his signing bonus. Presumably he would work out a new deal with wherever else he's going that would take that base salary down to something that somebody can manage, or maybe he's going to a team that has the space to manage it. I don't know. I'm not sure that anybody would want to have that cap hit as it currently exists, but if you traded him and you felt good about Mond, then your cap charges for next year are $10 million plus whatever Kellen Mond's cap hit is, which is so probably 11 or $12 million total of quarterback costs. So yes, if, if you felt good about Kellen Mond, they're not going to come out and say this, but they would have to think about it because if you think that you can get comparable performance and that's, this is a big if, I mean, there's a lot of development that has to happen with Kellen Mond for us to know that. And they have to find some scenarios where they'd even be able to see him enough to, to know what he can be given the fact that Kirk cousins doesn't miss games. But if you somehow or another got enough of a body of work to say, yeah, we think he's ready. The, the the finances would be such that if you felt like you could get something back for Cousins in a trade, I think you'd at least have to think about it. I think the, I think the problem is this was the year to do it, not next year, because you've kind of boxed yourself in now. Or he's he's coming he's coming into a year where now it's if he performs at a level low enough that you want to trade him. Who's going to want him? Right. Yes. This is and, and I know he's coming off a year that wasn't, you know, they were seven and nine, but he he and he 
he contributed to a lot of the early struggles as did the defense. His overall numbers though, came out looking pretty good. And he have 35 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And I looked at some, I think, I think it was another football outsiders thing. Maybe they did like an expected interceptions thing uh, based on how he played last year. And he was kind of, he was an outlier. Like he threw way more interceptions than he probably should have based on kind of you know, drop balls, catchable balls, things like that. Um, so that, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, 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 the problem is that if, if, if he's going to play poorly enough that you think you're ready to trade him and, you know, a lot of things can happen. He could, he could play well, but you don't, you know, you go seven and 10 and then you, you, you know, you're starting over anyway and you, you want to trade him and someone still wants him, but there is this scenario where you want to trade him, but he's played poorly. And because you want to trade him, that means he's played poorly. And then who wants? And it, I believe what they'd be doing if they tried to move him next year would be basically trying to sell him on a one-year $35 million deal, right? That's what would go yeah. with him because yeah. that $35 million is the, the salary that's attached to him next year, the one that's guaranteed, as you'd mentioned. Um, so who's going to want to take a $35 million rental on a 30 what, – how old would he be, 33? 34 next year, next August. Yeah. So it's just, you're right, Mike, to add on to that, it's the salary, it's the age, it's, it'd be quite the situation. So Ben, let me ask you this. I think we had another question in our mailbag that was basically saying, can you guys look into what they're going to do with him? Because there's no way he's going to play out this deal. I would push against that and think I, I could see him playing out this deal here and then them moving on. I mean, what do you think about the notion that they can't play him on a $45 million cap hit? Well, he has said he wants to play the deal out. So there's that piece of it. I, I think, I still think they're coming to a head after this year. I just, cause I, I think if you trade him, it's with the understanding that wherever he signs, they're going to figure something else out in terms of the contract or it's going somewhere that they say, yeah, we can deal with it for one year, which may help you um, or may help the other team lower the price a little bit in the sense that, I mean, kind of like what we saw for, I mean, you saw it with the Stafford deal where part of the reason the Lions got so much back was that they were willing to take on Jared Goff's contract. And if you have somebody that is willing to take on Cousins contract, that may lower the price of what you have to pay the Vikings to get him. So that could make it more attractive for somebody in a trade. I could see a scenario where he plays it out, but Man, I, I just – because their cap situation isn't that great next year either. I, I think anybody that expects the cap is going to go shooting back up to where it was or was projected to be is not reading it the right way. I think they're going to try to smooth this out over over a number of years and have gradual increases back to where they were because the thing to remember too is that the cap as it exists this year is higher than it should have been given the way the league calculates the cap. They pushed – losses into future years to say we don't want teams to have to completely decimate their roster so we're going to set it higher and deal with the the accounting on the back end and not launch it into the stratosphere with all this new tv money it'll probably come up more gradually again and the vikings pushed a lot of money into the future so their cap situation is better next year but it's still not perfect so i i think i still just think there's a lot of reason for them to want to do something with this situation after this year, whether it's extend, whether it's trade, figure something out. I, I think they certainly are going to have the incentive to do it. Whether Cousins wants to is another question, but I certainly think it's going to be in their thought process. Andrew, your point was a good one too, that the acquiring team is only taking 35 of cap, not 45. It's something I sometimes forget with the trade that uh, that's, that's not great, but that's not, too far out of line with what you would pay for, you know, a top 10 starter. So maybe that's not as prohibitive as I might think it is if, as long as he's had a decent enough year this year. And if, if there's a team too, that's thinking we actually want to invest in Kirk in the long term, they can, yeah, they can rework that deal. He wouldn't have to play on 35 million and they could do a, you know, Kirk could bend another team over the barrel and do three years, whatever, hundred million for, for his last uh, contract. Because he's a very good businessman. We have found that out for sure. Yeah, yeah, we have. In terms of maximizing his value to a team. Played it very well. Um, all right, well, let's let's do uh, at least one more question here before we break. Um, I find this interesting in terms of an off-season storyline. Lee asks, how long before we can decide who's the draft guru between Rick Spielman and George Payton? Um, George Payton has his first draft with the Broncos this year. 
passes on Justin Fields. The Vikings inherently pass on Justin Fields by not trading up for him. The way that Rick Spielman said, we were trying to trade up. I'm not going to say for who, but we were trying to trade up. Um, well, if you were going to move up for anybody, it would be either a top O lineman or Justin Fields. They called about Justin Fields. I mean, they, the 100% did. And so, yeah, so they both pass on him, Spielman and Payton. They, they have yeah. a lot of interesting comparisons and links here already in their first draft apart. And another one is the fact that George Payton went and did the most Vikings thing ever, and he traded up for a running back in the second round. I think you said getting Teddy. Oh, <laughs> that too. Ever. That too. But he traded up for a running back in the second round in the UNC running back, and then he traded back twice in the third round before taking a guard. So stop me if you've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you hear a lot of people in that building that said a lot of good things over the years about what George Payton meant to that operation. So it's going to be interesting to see how much different it looks and what the success rate is without him. Because I, you heard a lot over the years about what he meant in terms of finding players, in terms of working some of the trades. Um, and their philosophy hasn't changed. And there's probably a lot of people that learned the same approach and or fit the same approach as it is. But yeah, there the scouting acumen he had was very, very highly respected. And I think very highly compensated over the years. I think part of the reason he didn't leave is that they made it worth his while to stay and be picky and wait for the right opportunity. It's part of, I mean, I do still feel like part of what they're doing over there and they didn't pick a quarterback. I mean, we haven't talked about Aaron Rodgers on this podcast, probably for good reason, but they still seem like they're the most likely possible destination in a, in a Rodgers trade. And that only got more suspicious when they passed on taking a quarterback when they, they certainly seem like they at least have a, a moderate level of need at that position. Aaron Rodgers and the Denver Broncos. So if that were to happen, it'd be, um, well, I don't know if you play in a preseason game, but the Broncos are coming to Minnesota for exhibition number one. That would uh, certainly spice up uh, what's an otherwise often boring preseason. Um, and the storyline between Spielman and Peyton. Could you imagine? Spielman, Peyton, Aaron Rodgers, Teddy Bridgewater, Kelly Klein. Yeah. If they, subplots if, abound. If, they, if, they, if the Packers smooth out the Rodgers thing, by the way, it's going to be Cousins going to Denver in 2022. Mark my words. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's, that is an interesting scenario. To another defensive coach and Vic Fangio and, and another Vikings uh, connected GM, I could, I could see it. All right, guys, that'll be it for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>